Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it God rested from all of his work which he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no man to till the ground, but a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, And man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thomas Friedman is a columnist for the New York Times. He has written a number of best-selling books. He's won the Pulitzer Prize three times. His first book that really made him known was the book From Beirut to Jerusalem. And it talked about the Middle East and the struggles going on there. And then another one that really made him very famous was the book The World is Flat. It came out in 2004 talked about all the changes that we were living into and what was going on in the world. He had an update in that book in 2005 and then in 2006. But then he kind of stopped writing some and it wasn't until recently that he came out with another book entitled, Thank You for Being Late. And what this book was based on was the fact that, according to Friedman, he feels the world is just getting faster and faster There is more and more pressure to get more things done. And as the world gets faster and things are happening with technology, you start getting frustrated and pressured. So much so you never have time to stop and think about who you are, what's important in life, what matters to you. And so what he found was he has breakfast every morning And he's always trying to meet either with an interviewee or with friends. But invariably, people wind up being late because of the traffic on the beltway or the subway. And he said that whenever they show up late, they immediately begin making excuses and saying, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And he's found himself saying, it's okay, thank you for being late. It gave him five minutes, ten minutes, twenty minutes in order to really be able just to think and to stop and to be still. We have become a very impatient society and a society that is pushing hard. This is the 25th anniversary of a significant thing that happened in 1993. There was this new company that came along entitled 
America Online, AOL. 1993, they suddenly offered us a place that we could have an email address and you had access to the internet. And that was a big deal. I remember it very well. You came up and you flipped on your computer and you open up into your account and you hear this me, it kind of bounces all around for a while and find, yep, we're on, we're on. And then sometimes you'd hear, you've got mail. I mean, wow, that was so cool. I mean, that somebody had actually sent you an electronic message, you've got mail. Didn't happen every time because so many people didn't have email addresses, but it happened occasionally. And now I think, what would life be like if I turned on my phone or my iPad and there was no mail? What a gift that would be. (laughs) That never happens. No, you, you finally, you'd hear you got mail, you move your little mouse, you click to take you to a website that you wanted to, to browse. And after you clicked, then you could get up and go get a cup of coffee and bring it back. And it might be downloaded by then and ready to browse. We would never accept that today. No, the world has changed in terms of what the expectations are. So much has changed in the 1990s. I, I went back and started looking. We're getting ready to have Wednesday Night Alive. You remember in 1990s, the courses we were teaching on Wednesday Night Alive? Navigating the World Wide Web. You could have signed up for that one. Surfing the Internet. Could have signed up for that one on another semester. We were all trying to learn. So much was changing. It was amazing. My nanny, my dad's mom, we called her nanny, my grandmother. She was a wonderful lady. She was born in 1900. And being born in 1900, she grew up on a farm out in Kentucky. And we loved listening to her stories. Stories about how she had to ride a horse. She was riding in a wagon. And then she remembers when the car came along and she saw a Model T. And then how the cars begin to evolve. She doesn't remember the Wright Flyer when the Wright brothers flew the first time in 1903. She's three years old. But she remembered Lindbergh flying the Atlantic and landing in Paris and then seeing commercial air flight. The invention of talking movies, of television. And then suddenly we're shooting things into space. And she saw in 1968 a man walk on the moon. No, in her lifetime, you you, you look at the changes that took place. It was incredible. And we talked about, Nanny, do you see how much you have seen? I mean, you have seen so much from the the time of, uh, of truly having to ride in a horse and buggy to men walking on the moon. We thought change in her life was so significant. I mean, you see, for hundreds of years, if you lived in the 15th century... It was the same in the 16th and is the same in the 17th. If there was an invention, it would take hundreds of years to change the way you lived in the world. And then in the 20th century, that started changing. And there was so much happening that now the pace of change picked up. But that's nothing compared to the pace of change today. According to Thomas Friedman, 
We had a watershed year not long ago. One of those years that truly changed history, and that was 2007. That in 2007, there were so many things that came along, it set into motion change with an accelerated rate. I want to read you what he had to say about it. When I was running around in 2004 declaring that the world was flat, Facebook didn't even exist yet. Twitter was still a sound. The cloud was still in the sky. 4G was a parking place. Applications were what you sent to college. LinkedIn was a prison. Big Data was a good name for a rap star. And Skype, for most people, was a typographical era. All of those technologies blossomed around 2007. As he started looking back, he started saying, what all really started happening in 2007, a year that will always be remembered. Facebook started the very end of 2006. And then January 2007, Steve, Steve Jobs introduced the Apple iPhone, a smartphone. There was no longer a mobile phone. Now it was a device that could take you to the internet and do so many things. Software was developed to where a mobile device could run all kinds of applications at the same time. And then software was now being developed that enabled there to be huge amounts of storage like never before. At the same time that year, Twitter actually came along. Amazon released Kindle. Now you could have 100,000 books at your fingertips wherever you were. Airbnb got invented in San Francisco. Google launched Android. AT&T says that the mobile data traffic that it had in 2007 to 2014, it went up 100,000%. Now what changed in a seven-year period? It's incredible what is happening. And what they talk about is Gordon Moore's law that says a computer chip, the microprocessor, is doubling in its speed every two years. And it's been doing that for 50 years. To double every two years for 50 years, it is this kind of exponential growth It keeps getting smaller and faster and cheaper. And what does that do? It leads to a whole new world of technology. Your world is going to be different. Your world is different. The way we communicate through our mobile devices, through Facebook, through Snapchat and Instagram and YouTube and things that didn't exist 10 years ago. You remember I told you, not as last year, I was stuck in an airport and having to wait, and I got to wandering around in the terminal just trying to keep moving, get a little exercise. And as I was walking, I started noticing how many people were on a mobile device, a tablet, a phone. 
And so as I'm walking through all these areas, I start counting and I finally realized nine out of 10 people were staring at a mobile device. 10 years before, that wasn't possible. And that's what everybody was doing. A lot of times I'll take pictures when we're out somewhere and I'll see a family of five out eating dinner in a restaurant and every single one of them's on a mobile device. No one's saying a word to the other person at the table. What a different world it has happened. And it's leading to so many different things. Things like robotic surgery, gene editing, cloning, 3D printers, artificial intelligence. Now, we're doing things that driverless cars. This isn't science fiction. It's not some distant dream. This is reality. And whereas we used to look and say, things take a hundred years before an invention may change the way you live. And then we started looking what happened in the 20th century. Well, now it is said that technology changes the way you live and function every five to seven years. The rate of change is out of control. Now, it's great things that are happening, but it can leave people feeling very lost and frustrated and afraid. And I think one of the things that happens as all of this change begins to take place is it's easy for us to start losing our values. We forget what matters to us. Is it love, compassion, kindness, forgiveness? You can forget who you are. You forget where your hope comes from. You forget where meaning comes from. That's why today we are starting a new theme for this year. And the theme for this year is telling the story. You see, the understanding is that the number one best-selling book of all time is a collection of stories. It's the Bible. And even though the world in which you and I live is changing so much, people and all of their human needs have been the same for 3,000 years. Our struggles with insecurity, our fears that we are not good enough to be loved, our, our struggles with forgiveness. No, the human condition has been the same for 3,000 years. It's just we're now living in a different culture in which it's being lived out. And so what we want to do is go back and help you remember the stories, God's story, the stories of faith that can give us a foundation, something to hold on to, something that helps us to remember our values as we live in this world that is going to be amazing and changing faster than ever before. Parents, remember, your children are getting a story. Your grandchildren are hearing stories. TV, movies, YouTube, Facebook, Snapchat, no, they're, they're all hearing lots of stories. What stories are you telling them? Are they learning the stories of faith? Are they learning your story? 
We want to focus this year on your story, your story of faith. How has God affected you? What are the things that happened in your life that were profound and and changed the direction of your life and who you are? To take the time to remember our story. To take the time to remember God's story. So that you and I can live in an incredible world of technological change and things going on and not have to be afraid or lost. That's what we want to be looking at this year. And I wanted us to start today by looking at a scripture, remembering a story, one of the most famous stories in the Bible that just about everyone will know whether they go to church or not, and that's the story of creation in the Garden of Eden, the story of Adam and Eve. It is the story we all know of how God scooped up the dirt, the dust, and breathed into the breath of life and created Adam, Adam. It means earth. It represents humankind from the ashes, the dirt. And then God would take the rib from Adam and make Eve. And Eve, the name means the mother of all living things. So when you read this story of Adam and Eve, you're reading a story about who we are as human beings. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. The story of all living things. Now, many theologians, whenever you talk about the creation story, always talk about original sin. But what I think is fascinating is that the word sin is not used in the Bible in dealing with the story. The word sin never shows up until the fourth chapter When their children, Cain, kills his brother Abel. That's the first time sin shows up in the Bible. No, I didn't use a sin right here. No, I take away a different message. The message I think that is being said here is, well, there's many we can dig out. But the one I want to talk about today is when I read this story of Adam and Eve and being put into the garden. They've been given the gift of life and now they're set free. The power of choice to choose how they will live. It is the gift that God has given to every one of us. You got the gift of life as you start 2018. You have the power of choice. You've been set free. You are a co-creator with God. God has created you, given you life, but now set you free. And you get to choose. And sometimes we forget that. Or we don't use our freedom and power wisely. And so I want us to look at how do you use your freedom? How do we make choices well? Because God has given you the power to be a co-creator in His world, in this universe. It's what I want us to think about this morning. And, And I really just want to say two things. First of all, I believe that the creation story tells us that you have been created unique and set free to choose if you want to be the person God created you to be. You're unique. Are you trying to be the person you believe God has created you to be using that power? When I went off to college, I decided to become a psychology major. 
I thought being a psychology major and learning psychology would really be good to help me figure out my congregation. It didn't help at all, I can tell you. I became a psych major, and, and right off the bat, one of the things I learned was about B.F. Skinner. B.F. Skinner had a fascinating idea called tabula rasa, and it's the whole idea that every baby is born as a blank slate. And so when you come into this world, you are totally a product of all your environment, things that happen to you, what you're taught, what life is like. The environment helps you to become the person you were born into this world. You're a blank slate. Man, it made perfect sense to me. And I knew he was correct, and I bought that hook, line, and sinker. And then I got married, and we had children. When we had children, our first, daughter was a, our first child was a, a girl, Kelly. And by the time that Kelly was two, three, four years old, she was already nurturing a mother. I mean, she dressed her dolls. She dressed her kitty cat in dresses. She put her kitty cat in a stroller and would push her stroller around. She was the most nurturing and loving type of child. She now has a daughter, our granddaughter, who's doing the same thing. And then we had a boy, our son Paul. And when Paul was two, three, four, every block he could find, he drove in the dirt and made sounds like a truck. Every stick he picked up became a gun that he would shoot. And I looked at these two children and thought it's the same environment and they are so different. So I came to the conclusion that, you know, we're all born with certain tendencies, certain innate abilities. That's part of who we are when we're born. Then we have environment that does affect us, things that happen to you, that become a part of your story, that affect the way you look at life that affects the way that you choose to live. And so you now have the opportunity to be this unique individual. I grew up at First Methodist Church in Houston, and that's part of my story. Growing up in a large downtown church, I loved church. I always talked about being a minister. I'll always remember Roger Berkman. Roger Berkman was a man in my mother and father's Sunday school class, the Adelphi class. And, and Roger, well, it turned out that he, in World War II, he was a fighter pilot. Got shot down behind enemy lines. The French underground helped him escape back to safety. But since you've been shot down and the French underground helped you, you can't go back and fight again because if you get shot down and captured again, they can torture you and you may tell everything you know. Well, he had a background in psychology, and the country said to him, look, we're training all these people to be fighter pilots, and we train them, and they get to the end, and 50% wash out. Could you help us figure out the personality of a fighter pilot before we start to train them? And so Roger went to work, and he started coming up with some ideas of who people are and became a personality profile. He came up with the idea in which he said, you know, people fall into basically four categories. Some people are thinkers. They're like the Greeks. Some people are doers. They're like the Romans. And then you got people who are talkers. They can be great salespeople. And then you got people who are counters. They love the numbers, the accountant. And he said, you got these different personalities, types. And really to have a successful organization, he said, you, you need to 
have some of all those working in the organization because you need them all. The problem is they usually don't get along with each other. I, I mean, the talker drives the thinker crazy. The counter drives the doer crazy. But you need all of them. So he started his business and it did so poorly. He thought he had these personality profiles he could help companies. It just bombed. And then all of them kind of looked at their, all the partners kind of looked at the business and what they realized was they'd gone out and hired everybody just like themselves because it sure made life so much better. But they were a failure. So they finally went out and decided we don't just want thinkers. They went and got the talkers and the counters and the doers and his company boomed. A lot more frustrating, but a lot more successful. Well, when I was 14 years old in the youth group, Roger came to do a a personality profile test for the kids who were in the MYF. It was a much abbreviated thing kind of for kids. But he came and he gave it to us. He knew my plans about the future. And I'll always remember he took time to study my profile and came over and said, when I look at all of your stuff, Bob, it says to me, you'd make a great minister. It's a part of my story. 14, 50 years ago, I can remember Dr. Berkman saying, yeah, I think you got the right traits to be a pastor. Everybody is unique. Everybody has different gifts. And you have different life experiences. And in the end, you get to choose how to deal with them, what it means, and who you believe God is calling you to be. Are you willing to dream about that in 2018? It doesn't matter whether you're eight or whether you're 80. It's your turn to dream and to use that power. The danger is you and I spend so much time comparing ourselves with others We spend so much time worrying about what other people think that in the end we're almost afraid to be who we are. I mean, it's just human nature. We got to spend Christmas with both of our kids and their families. And I got to tell you, when we opened present with the grandkids, both houses, they went around going, one, two, three, four, five, one, two. Do we have the same? You know, they're not old enough to be smart enough to go, yeah, there's a real money difference here. No, just do we have the same amount of presents? Because if we do, that means I'm still as good as you. I'm loved as much as you. There is that fear we wanted to compare. How many presents do I have? How many presents do you have? It starts when we're children, but it goes on through your whole life. No matter how old you get, you can still be worried Is my car as nice as your car? Is my house bigger than your house? No matter how powerful, how rich, we can spend our whole life comparing ourselves with others. That that's where your worth comes from. It's where your value comes from. Can you accept and be who you are? Again, when I was 18 and I went off to college, I I found a poster called Desiderata. And I, I hung it on the wall of my, of my dorm room, and I read it every day. That was more than 45 years ago, and I want to read you the very beginning of it. Go placidly amid the noise and the haste, 
and remember what peace there may be in silence. As far as possible, without surrender, be on good terms with all persons. Speak your truth quietly and clearly and listen to others. Even to the dull and the ignorant, they too have their story. Avoid loud and aggressive persons. They are vexatious to the spirit. If you compare yourself with others, you may become vain or bitter. For always there will be greater and lesser persons than yourself. I can remember that line like it was yesterday because at that age I I found I struggled with my self-esteem. Am I good enough? Am I better than anyone else? Am I not as good? I was struggling with this issue of trying to be a pastor and I would be one at 19 years old and I was always wondering. And so sometimes I've done well with this, sometimes I don't do well with it, but at any moment I can be reminded, never compare yourself with others for there's always be greater and lesser people than yourself. The goal is to be who you are, this unique, created individual who has gifts and graces, the person God has called you to be. 2018, God gave you the power of choice and set you free. Who do you want to be this year? Secondly, I believe the story in creation tells us that We've been set free to choose to love, even those who are different. You get to choose how you're going to treat each other. You have Eve who listens to the snake, and the snake says, you need the apple, it's okay. And so she eats of the apple, and she gives it to Adam, and Adam eats of the apple. And so then God comes along and says, Adam, what are you doing? He says, well, I ate the apple, but it's because she gave it to me. Right off the bat, you can begin to see what's going to happen in relationships. It's life. What we forget is you get to choose how you're going to live life with each other. Do you believe in kindness, respect, forgiveness, compassion? You get to choose how you're going to live in relationship with other people. From the beginning, in the garden. You were given that power. And I believe as you and I now go into 2018, you can be that person God has called you to be. You can pursue your dreams and what you believe is special and show love and be a blessing to those along the way. As Christians, that's what we have been called to do. Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. You do both. You treat others the way you want to be treated. You can do that. And pursue your dream of who you believe God's calling you to be. I don't know about you, but this this year at Christmas, I, I don't know, I was just really busy. I think Friedman may be right. Doing more than ever before. And I didn't get to see near the Christmas specials that I wanted to get to see. I love watching Christmas specials and movies. I didn't get to see a lot this year. But there was one I was determined, I got recorded and I got to watch, and it was the 50th anniversary show of Carol Burnett. Now, I don't know how many of you got to see that. It was on December the 3rd. Um, Carol Burnett had her 50th anniversary show. Her musical variety show had started in 1967, and that really was very significant. 
she got to talking about um, how it got started. I mean, you know, Carol Burnett is now 84 years old. I mean, that's hard to believe. She's 84, looks great, doing well. But, but back in the early 1960s, she signed a, a 10-year contract with CBS. And she was doing different parts and, and so on. And, but in the contract, it said, in the first five years, if you decided you want to do a musical variety show, all you have to do is push the button and CBS has to give you 30 one-hour slots. She didn't want to do that. She liked what she was doing. She knew what she was doing. But as time went on, she got to thinking, you know, I might want to do that. Maybe I'm being groomed to do that. The problem was when she looked around, well, you could see who was doing it. People like Milton Berle and Jack Benny or Dean Martin or a Bob. No women were doing a musical variety comedy hour. Only men. It came down to the last week of the fifth year at Christmas. She called the vice president there at CBS and said, I'd like to push the button. He said, what? I mean, they'd forgotten. I, I want to push the button. What are you talking about, Carol? They went and looked it up. It was in her contract. They called their lawyers. They talked. The day after Christmas, they called Carol back and said, now, Carol, you don't want to do this. I mean, this isn't for you gals. Really. This is a man's thing. You don't want to do this. No, I want to push the button. They had to give her 30 one-hour shows. 1967, the Carol Burnett Show came on the air, and it ran for 11 seasons, 11 years. The most successful musical variety show ever. And she was so kind and so fun. Wholesome laughter. I remember on Sunday nights watching her year after year. It's just a great show. And so now they're having that 50th anniversary and they were showing some of the clips, but they also had lots of women on the show going, thank you. You opened the door. You paved the road so that we could be ourselves and pursue our dream because of what you did 50 years ago. Thank you. You chose to follow your dream, to be yourself, so that we now can do that. And how did she get to do that? Well, Carol Burnett's story is when she was a child, both of her parents were alcoholics. They couldn't take care of her. They got divorced. She had to go live with her grandmother. And her nanny, well, she was a little dysfunctional herself. But she was loving she kept a roof over their head and food on the table for she and her sister. It wasn't an easy upbringing. They were poor. She lived in Hollywood, managed to get money to go to school at UCLA, got involved in drama. And one year at Christmas, one of her professors invited her and a few other girls to come perform at his Christmas party. And when they were through performing, a man came up to her and said, you really were good. What kind of dreams do you have? Oh, I want to go to to New York and be on Broadway. He got out a checkbook to write her a check and said, I'll give you enough money to fly to New York. It'll get you into an apartment for a year. It would cover your meals and you can pursue your dream for the next year. And Carol said, I may have been young, but I wasn't naive. I knew this would come with strings attached. And so I said, uh, thank you very much, but no. 
the man walked away and he came back with his wife and now stood before and said, I want to make the offer again with my wife standing here. There are four things that I'm going to require. One, that you use this money to go to New York and not on anything else. It's to chase your dream. Two, if you're successful, I'm asking you to pay it back in five years. No interest. Three, you never tell my name. Four, that you help somebody else along the way. And so Carol Burnett took the money and went to New York. And she was soon performing on Once Upon a Mattress and then in TV shows. And the rest is history. And through all these years, now at 84 years old, she has never divulged the name of the person who gave her the gift. She has been asked, have you helped other people along the way? And she said, oh, yes. And who are they? And she always says, that's my secret. You can be who you are called to be and chase your dream in 2018 and choose to love and be kind and a blessing along the way. As the followers of Christ, we are called to love God and to love our neighbor with our whole heart, to treat others the way we want to be treated. You've been given the gift of life and you've been set free to choose. And that's why you and I, as we begin this year, are going to make sure we tell the story. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer. Amen. Um,